had those moments in my life when, when I've been amazed. Just absolutely in awe. Moved by the moment. There have been a few. I remember even as a, as a little guy, my parents calling us into the living room to sit in front of our television and to hear these words. One small step for man. And finding that just an absolute awe that that the man who was saying that, that he was saying that from from that that moon that I see in the sky at night. Even as a little guy, I remember thinking, that's that's breathtaking, amazing. Can I tell you, even some 50 years later, that's really is an amazing occurrence. I have I also had the opportunity to see Michael Jordan play live. Watching him do things with a basketball that seemed absolutely impossible. Sitting there with a friend, just kind of watching the game, and and, in a moment, jaw dropped. Oh, did did you just see what he did? It's it's not it's not a video game. Right? We've all done that playing NBA Jam. But he does it live in person. I'm amazed. I've, I've witnessed it around the altars. I've seen people instantly delivered from just life-controlling demonic oppression and even demonic possession. I've, I've prayed over a college roommate who had lived his whole life with one leg shorter than the other and, and saw that leg before my very eyes grow out to where his, his standing was solid. And his gait was unaffected. And, and knowing, knowing the word, knowing that it's part of God's promise, still being utterly amazed. Have you had those? Have you had those wow moments in your life? Maybe they're wow moments that you've seen on media or wow moments that you've experienced in person or wow moments that God has brought into your day. Utterly amazing. It fascinates me that in in Scripture, it tells us that God has been amazed. Jesus, in the earthly ministry of Jesus, Jesus is amazed. He's amazed on two separate occasions. One, not so good. And the other, pretty remarkable and quite honestly, a great life lesson for us. The first When Jesus goes to Nazareth in the middle of his earthly ministry, 
Jesus is doing everything that he does, and yet the response of the people was, was tepid at best. And in fact, they remarked, they said, Jesus, why are people all worked up about this Jesus? Isn't that, isn't that Joseph the carpenter's son? Isn't that his brothers there and his sisters over there? And scripture tells us that Jesus was amazed by their lack of faith. The other story, the other story, it's a, it's a great story for us and it's a powerful lesson for today. In Luke chapter 7, it's actually recorded in a couple of the different gospels, but in, in Luke chapter 7, we read the story where Jesus has, he's just recently completed the Sermon on the Mount. He's making his way across the northern part of the Galilean shore and he gets to Capernaum and when he gets into Capernaum, he is approached by the elders of the community. And the elders of the community come to Jesus and they, they ask him if he would do a favor for them. And the favor in it of itself is something that seems odd, remarkable, even somewhat amazing. And here's what they come. They come asking this. Said, Jesus, there's a Roman, there's a Roman centurion in our town who is requesting your assistance. We're wondering if you could go to him. Now that is bizarre. Now, we might not fully understand, fully appreciate it, but in that moment, if we understand historically what's happening in that moment, for the Jewish leaders to ask Jesus to go to the aid of a Roman, first of all, it's the Jewish leaders going to Jesus. That seems somewhat counterintuitive, doesn't it? And, and what we know of the story of that time period, the religious leaders kind of struggled with who Jesus was. And, and then it was asking Jesus to go and to be engaged in coming to the aid of a Roman. These political, brutal oppressors that have come, that have taken their land and, and requiring them to, 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 to serve a foreign entity, a foreign ruler, a foreign Caesar. What, what is even more strange about the story is they say, Jesus, this, this Roman centurion has requested your assistance and we would like for you to help him because he is responsible for the building of the synagogue here in town. The, the whole story, there, there's so much more to it than what meets the eye. And Jesus responds as we would expect him to respond very graciously. He says, absolutely, I'll go to his home. But while they're along the way, the Roman centurion sends a group of another group of his servants out to Jesus and says, listen, no, 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 no. There's no reason for you to come to my house. I, 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 I don't... I didn't expect you to come to my house. I know that I'm not worthy for you to come to my house. It's the reason why I didn't come to you personally, why I just sent word. But Jesus, I get it. I get who you are. I get what you do. It's in stark contrast to his experience in Nazareth, isn't it? Jesus, just say the word. And I know that my servant will be healed. And it tells us this in Luke chapter seven, that Jesus is amazed. He's amazed. He's like, oh my word. 
I, I haven't seen such faith anywhere. And history records that Jesus does indeed speak the word. And the centurion's servant is healed. Jesus is amazed. He's amazed by lack of faith. I'm convinced that same story is told today. That there are moments where Jesus says to his church, after all you've experienced, after all you've seen, after all you've been given, to the degree that you've been blessed, that you would allow a momentary situation to create anxiety for you, that you would allow a, a temporary need to create distress in your life. I, I'm convinced of this. I'm convinced there are times where Jesus looks upon the church and he's amazed by our lack of faith. Oh, but there's also that opportunity. In fact, I'm convinced that he's calling us, that he's calling you to also amaze him by your unwavering belief in an unchanging God and operating with an understanding of his authority that positions you in such a way that you're willing to believe him for anything and ask him for everything. Here's the key. Are you ready? The key is this. The centurion, it wasn't about him. Jesus is most amazed in a moment where somebody is operating in an expression of intercession. It's, it's demonstrating faith and the character of God combined. Let me give this to you again. Intercession, it is the demonstrating of faith and the character of God combined. Because it's believing in God for an answer, but it's not believing in God for an answer for myself. It's believing God for an answer for someone else's need. And when we mix the character of God with our faith, amazing is the result. I'm convinced this is the reason why in, in Luke chapter 11, Jesus' disciples asked Jesus, Lord, won't you teach us to pray? They, they, they come upon Jesus and Jesus, is, he's taking some time, he's, he's withdrawn to a quiet place and he's praying and, and, and they, they, they observe Jesus praying and as, as Jesus finishes his prayer time, they make this statement to him. They say, Jesus, would you teach us to pray? Just as John has taught his disciples to pray, Jesus, would you teach us to pray? And so this is what Jesus does. He first, he paraphrases what we find in, in, in Matthew's gospel, the Lord's prayer. Now, it should come as no surprise to us that he does that. No doubt this is a teaching that they have heard over and over and over again. You see, we have the luxury of having the Bible. We have the luxury of having the written word. But in the time of Jesus and in the days of his earthly, earthly ministry, 
the vast majority of teaching that happened, it happened through oral traditions. It, it happened through hearing speakers. And so you can be confident of this. The message that Jesus spoke on the Galilean seashore that we know as the Sermon on the Mount, that which is recorded there in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, that, that biblical narrative, while it's recorded happening on the Galilean seashore, you can be confident that Jesus shared that message, at least the major components of that message, everywhere he went. So on the subject of prayer, his disciples have heard this message over and over again. If you want to know how to pray, this is how you pray. Our Father who's in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and, and forgive us of our faults, our debts, our trespasses, even as we forgive those uh, who have sinned, those who have trespassed, th th those that have debts towards us. God, thank you that, that you are with, they've heard it. They know it. And so when Jesus, asks, when Jesus is asked by them, Lord, teach us to pray, he, he shares with them a teaching that they've heard over and over and over again. But then he expands. Then he expands on it. He says, let me tell you a story. I want you to, I want you to picture this. I want you to picture a, an individual that, that goes and he knocks on the door. He knocks on the door of a neighbor. He says, listen, I hate to bother you. I guess you hate to bother me, but you're not so much because you're knocking on my door at midnight. Yes, but I've had a friend that has come to visit. And my friend is hungry. I, I wonder if maybe you have three loaves of bread that you can spare. Do you, do you not know what time it is? Okay. We're already in bed. You're going to wake up the children. Come knocking on my door. You mean tell me you don't have any bread of your own? Jesus says this. He says, listen. Maybe, maybe not for your sake. But because of the persistence of your asking, your friend's going to meet your need. And if in the natural, if in the natural, your friend's going to meet your need, how much more will the response of God be? When Jesus is asked by his disciples, teach us to pray. Here's what he does. He reviews what they've already learned, but then he takes considerable time and gives them an illustration to explain the significance and the value of intercession. Allowing ourselves to demonstrate God's character and heart combined with our faith. Intercession. It is, it is what brings about the amazing in our life, so much so that it creates moments that even amaze God. The, the power that's within us, when we move from self-focus, from 
selfishness to selflessness. Carmen was a 20-year-old college student. Had gone to the, the big city of New York to study. And he is, he's making his way home from after a, back, back, back to his apartment after a day of classes. And he goes down and he's standing on the subway platform waiting for his train. And all of a sudden he experiences something he's never experienced before. His body seems to be freaking out. He goes into seizures and he he unfortunately, he's standing right by the edge of the platform. And what is probably every New Yorker, at least, worst nightmare, he, he, he falls down and he falls onto the tracks. Wesley Autry is a 50-year-old construction worker. He's there with his two school-aged daughters. And he sees this happen. He sees Cameron fall onto the tracks. He also, he can hear the number one train coming. It's close enough that he can see the lights. And in that moment, he does what seems to be unthinkable. He lets go of the hands of his daughters and jumps down onto the track and, 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 and Carmen is still in the midst of seizure and, and, and writhing and, and seeing the train coming, Wesley jumps on top of Carmen and holds him down as five subway cars pass over them. So close that the grease from the subway car smears the top of Wesley Autry's hat. In, in, that, in that moment, it would have been so easy, and, and, and honestly, few would have questioned had Wesley Autry stood there. After all, he's got the responsibility of his daughters. It's way too close to the touching that third rail. The, the space between the bottom of those railroad cars and a, and a human body. In fact, there are some in this room this morning who would say, Wesley Autry, I'd never do that. That guy's a fool. I believe this. I believe that Carmen Holopater is awfully glad that Wesley Autry was a little bit foolish. More than a little bit foolish, that he was a little bit selfless. In fact, as the five cars rolled overhead and the, the train stopped, Wesley Autry tells a story that he could, he could hear the screams of the people from the subway platform. And so he yells out, we're okay down here. 
but I've got two daughters up there. Please let them know that their dad's okay. Power was cut. Workers got them out. Mr. Holopiter was taken to the hospital. He fortunately had only bumps and bruises. Wesley Autry refused medical help, said nothing was wrong. He stopped and visited Carmen in the hospital before heading to his night shift. He said this, I don't feel like I did something spectacular. I simply did what I felt was right. That story to me is amazing. When when mankind moves from selfishness to selflessness, it's amazing. Because what it is, more than anything, it is us reflecting the character of God that is, I believe, within each and every one of us. Yeah, you have within you the heart, the mind, the disposition of an intercessor, of someone who's willing to stand in the gap for another. Jesus describes it. He describes it in, in, in Luke chapter 11 when his disciples ask. He, show, he shares us this, that, that intercession, standing in the gap for somebody else, that it's motivated by relationship. Right? The story in Luke chapter 11, suppose a friend comes to your house. It's also a relationship with the one to whom we are asking. Suppose you go to a friend at midnight. Intercession, it involves that vertical relationship, the relationship between us and God, and the horizontal relationship, the relationship that we have with those around us. It's it's birthed in relationship. It's grounded in relationship, and it's fueled by relationship. If you're here this morning, and you're outside a personal relationship with God, you are in the right place because God has brought you here today to where you can start an amazing journey with an incredible God who is crazy about you, loves you, accepts you just as you are, and has great plans for you. You can be confident in that. And what he wants is this. He wants not just for you to have great relationship with him. He wants you to have great relationship with the people around you. And, and that's, where, that's where this character of God starts, having right relationship with him and having right relationship to those a- around us. And what that does is it makes us aware of a need. My friend is hungry. F- please lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine has come to me. Intercession, it's, a, it's motivated by relationship. It's a response to a need. It's also, it's an expression of love. And lastly, what Jesus shows us is that it's a statement of faith. Because of your shameless audacity, I love that phrase from Luke eleven eighteen. 18. Because of your shameless audacity. Understand what Jesus is teaching about here. He's teaching about prayer. And not just prayer, he's Preaching about 
our mindset, our approach to praying for others, the way that we should view, the way that we should approach intercession. Combining God's character, the love that he places within us for those around us with our faith. Because that's where amazing happens. That's where amazing happens. That's where amazing happens. And and intercession is so important that Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, before Jesus goes to the cross, he engages in intercession. He prays. He prays first for his disciples, his close followers. And then he prays not just for them, but for everyone who believes in him, which means that Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus knowing that he was less than 24 hours from the cross, this is what he does. He takes time to pray for you. I want to let that sink in this morning. Because we know what it's like to have a crisis moment on the horizon. We know what it's like for that feeling that time is short. Did you maybe have some of those thoughts and some of those emotions this weekend? As you're thinking, how much food do I have in the house? Are the vehicles gassed up? Do I need to board up the windows? Is it, is it going to become necessary for me to evacuate? This is not the typical Labor Day weekend. But you know what I've discovered? There's always something that's pulling at my emotion. There are always challenges and questions that seem to be impacting the mind. See, a week ago, it was for the Johns family. For the week, a week ago, it was Ronnie in the hospital. It was, it was doctor's diagnosis that were, were not very encouraging. It was more questions than answers. And, and all the things that needed to be done Now, Ronnie, it's good to see you in church today. You feeling good? You look a lot better than you did in the hospital. And we praise God that God is doing a miraculous healing work in your body. Ronnie, I want you to know that the reason that you're here today and not in that hospital bed is because so many people in this room prayed for you. And never forget the power of intercession. Because God's word tells us that the effectual and fervent prayers of the righteous availeth much.
We see this principle of intercession woven throughout Scripture. We know that Paul, even in critical moments, Paul, instead of focusing on himself, he prays for others. Moses, in, 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 in these essential times, Moses doesn't focus on his needs. He prays for the children of Israel. Intercession. It's when godly character meets energized faith and the amazing happens. This is why when Jesus is asked by his disciples, teach us to pray, he says, okay, I've taught you this over and over again, this kind of model for a, for, 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 for a personal prayer, but let's take you to a little bit of an advanced course and let's talk about intercession. Friend, God wants to move you from basic prayer. He wants to move you to that advanced course of intercession because it's when we engage in intercession that amazing happens. When, when Jesus prays the prayer of intercession, he, he prays in, in, in John chapter 17, he prays three major, three major factors. Number one, he prays this. He prays for protection. John 17, 11, he prays this. He says, he says, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. I don't want you to take them out of the world, Father, because I understand the importance, the significance of their testimony. I understand the ministry that you have for them. I understand the life that you've called them to. I understand the destiny that is theirs. And so, God, I'm not asking you to pull them out of this amazing life, this amazing path that you have for them, but I do recognize what the enemy's gonna try to do to bring distraction, disruption, discouragement, defeat, and so God, here's what I'm asking. Father, here's my position of intercession. Here's my petition before the throne. Protect them. Protect them. The second thing that he prays, sanctify them. Sanctify them. Give them an understanding of the significance of their identity. Help them to know that they have been set apart and purified for a great work. And the last thing that he prays, he says, God, cause them to come together and to recognize the amazing energy that's found in together. Make them one, Father. As much as you and I are one, make them one. He prays. My prayer for you this morning is this. Is that God would not take you out of any difficulty that you face. Because all things work together for good for those that love God. My prayer for you, if you're dealing with sickness... My prayer for you is that you are not healed one moment before God's perfect design for you to experience your healing. But I do pray this for you. I pray God protect them. Protect their mind. Protect their heart. Protect everything that is them. 
Help them to understand. Help us, oh God, to understand that we have been set apart for an incredible work and for an amazing destiny. And let your presence be so evident in our life that there is this team spirit and this unity that doesn't just hold us together, but that it also becomes the energy that moves us forward. When we, when we do that, when we grasp that, then scriptures like, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then those scriptures become fully alive. God's called you to be a person of prayer. And make no mistake, prayer works. Prayer works. It works. Thank you for listening. We hope you've been blessed by the ministry of Calvary Orlando. We invite you to join us in person at Calvary Orlando for one of our Sunday morning worship experiences each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. To find out more about Calvary, please visit our website at calvaryorlando.org. Here you can find our latest events and ministry opportunities. Thanks for listening and God bless.